Good morning. Any visitors this morning? In the back. Where are you from, sir? Speedville? Oh, Greenville. Good to have you. You said pointed somewhere else. Where are y'all from? Illinois. Illinois? What part? Not Chicago. Okay, that's definitely not Chicago. <laughs> Is it uh, close to Chicago or central? Okay, gotcha. Awesome. Okay, okay. Anyone else? Well, good to have you all. Got about three minutes. Uh, in three minutes, does anyone have any questions about anything I covered last week? Is it clear as mud? Good. <laughs> All right. I know this stuff is a little bit probably small for those in the back, but I have to try to fit it all on the board. You folks that are uh, visitors, have you been watching Sunday school or no? No? Okay. Okay. Brother Barry, would you go ahead and open us up, please, brother? Thank you. All right. Okay, so before we get started, I, who watched uh, the folks that were in my st study on Galatians? I know we got a couple here, and who else was there? Um, some of y'all may have watched it, and I think that I misspoke on one of them, one of the, some of the information I put out. If you remember, this is for folks that were there. I'm just going to correct it. Um, I, I talked about accursed. Remember that, Brother Jeff? Okay, I think I put Maranatha. Is that what I put? Okay, that's wrong. It's anathema. Okay. Anathema maranatha. Okay, that means accursed. This means at the Lord's coming. Okay, so folks that watch that, I was talking fast, and sometimes you misspeak when you're, when you're teaching. Or, so just want to clear that up. Okay, that maranatha. You'll see this right here in 1 Corinthians 16.22. Okay. But when he says anathema, he's talking about a, that means accursed. Okay, that's one correction. And then the other one for folks that were in here last week, and I talked about the different attributes of God being highlighted in, in different ages. Uh, I put under the law, I said righteousness. It's actually not righteousness. It's, it's holiness. 
Okay? God's holiness under the law. Right now in the church age, it's grace, obviously. Okay? And then in the millennial reign, or the judgment is tribulation, the millennial reign is righteousness. I just want to clear that up. Okay? Um, so if I make a mistake up here, a lot of times I go back and watch what I taught. Because sometimes you do misspeak or you want to put out correct information. Because I can guarantee you the folks that are watching on there are going to sure let you hear about it. Okay, if you make a mistake, okay? All right, so that's the corrections that I wanted to make before we get into the study. But now let's get into Romans 2. Let's go back to uh, Romans 2.12. We'll back up just a verse. <clears throat> All right, still dealing with the Gentile before the cross. Okay, and it says, For as many as have sinned without law shall also, also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. We talked about, went into great lengths last week, run the references, showed you how those things worked in the Old Testament. Okay, For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now, that's a, that's a mouthful. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. I think it might have been the first lesson we did on, on Romans. We talked about that conscience. Okay? So, we understand that that conscience, what that thing means is with knowledge. Okay? That's what that means. Con with science is the Greek for knowledge or nosos. Okay? So that conscience means with knowledge. So they knew. Now that word doesn't show up in the Old Testament. It shows up uh, 31 times in the New Testament and conscience is shows up once. So technically 32. Okay? So what I have up here is references, just a couple references, okay, where it's talking about a conscience. You've got a pure conscience. 1 Timothy 3.9. Somebody has a pure conscience about something, right? Uh, my conscience, Paul's talking about himself having his conscience, okay? You could have a weak conscience. 1 Corinthians 8.12, dealing with idols, people that you're eating around may have a weak conscience. He's talking about those things in 1 Corinthians 8. You have a good conscience towards something, 1 Timothy 1.5, akin to pure conscience in a matter. You have a good conscience towards something. You could have a seared conscience, that's 1 Timothy 4.2. 4, uh, they, they have a seared conscience, okay, in 1 Timothy 4.2, uh, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, that's that group. You could have an evil conscience in a matter. Uh, let's go to Hebrews 10, I just want to show you that one. Because this goes along with what we're, we're going to be teaching. Hebrews 10. There should be 10.2, not 10.22. Hebrews 10.2. For then would they have uh, ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins... No, it is 10.22. I'm sorry. There's, there's another verse right there. But uh, let's look over here. 
Here it is. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, so there's an evil conscience. And <clears throat> when you get saved, those things get taken away. All your, your sins are blotted out. So I'll get to that here in a moment. Okay, defiled conscience, you got Titus 1.15. So you have these different references, but I, what I want you to notice here is not one time do you see in the Bible where it says anybody has a dead conscience. Okay? That's important to note. We'll get into some of the things against uh, Calvinism here in a minute. Okay? But notice all these things here, but no, it never says anything about having a dead conscience. So let's look how this thing originally worked. Let's go back all the way to Genesis chapter 3. So how did the Gentiles get saved in the Old Testament? Well, they followed their conscience. They didn't, if they sinned against their own conscience, that light would get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Okay? So they were following their conscience. Look at this thing, how it works. Okay, look at Genesis chapter 3. This is a familiar story. This was an Eve, Eve is beguiled. Let's look at... Uh, Look at verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, We shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now what's conscience mean? With knowledge. Okay, you're going to know some things. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the, uh, the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. See that? So she wanted to have knowledge. She eats of that tree, he eats of that tree as well, now they both know something that they were naked, and they shoot, sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. See what sin makes you do? Makes you fearful. And he said, who told, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest me to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Now, that's, we, we kind of joke about that. You know, a lot of times, we, well, see, he's blamed the woman. But what I want you to look at, look at the first question. Who told thee that thou wast naked? He never answers that question. It's an open-ended question that's left out there. Who told him? How did he know that what he did was a sin? Notice I knew. That conscience, it's awakened. Now, Adam, when he sins, we all understand he dies what? Spiritually or physically? Spiritually. He dies spiritually. But what becomes... Awake is that conscience. That thing becomes awakened. Now he knows some things he didn't know before. Okay? Dies spiritually, yes. But that conscience is awakened. 
That's why I showed you here. See all these right here? Not one of these says anybody has a dead conscience. Now, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's clear something up here. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Look at verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened, what's that mean? Made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, ever understand that you were dead, spiritually speaking? Okay, now this is a Calvinist proof text. This is why I'm pointing this thing out. Calvin will read this thing as, and you who were born dead in trespasses and sins. Now you have a sin nature, but you have to cross-reference. Look at Romans 7, 9. Let's, let's look at this thing. <clears throat> Romans 7, 9. Look at it says. Romans 7, 9. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Now, is that contradictory? We have to understand the three-part nature of man, the body, soul, spirit. So when was he alive, the question would be. All right, let's flip this thing over for a moment. We all would agree Adam and Eve, when they were created, were innocent. Is that, is that an agreement? Okay. But innocence does not become righteousness unless it's been tested. Okay? There must be a test. To become righteous, there must be a test. Adam and Eve failed the test or pass it? They, they failed it. Right? Brought sin upon the whole world. Jesus Christ, born of the Holy Spirit, God manifest in the flesh, was he innocent? Better believe he was. Was he tested? Was he tempted? Right? Did he pass the test? Therefore, he's righteous. When you put on Jesus Christ, you put on his righteousness. Okay? Now, Although they may have died spiritually, that does not mean that they don't have a will and they don't have a conscience. This is where Calvin goes wrong. This is his little, you all have seen, I, I know preachers put this up here probably a lot of times or talked about it. See this right here? Total depravity. Total depravity. Proof text for that, Ephesians 2.1. Say so that you're so dead that you, you can't even make a decision for Christ. That's what Calvin teaches. That you're so dead, you're a corpse. There's that Greek word for corpse, right? That you can't even make a decision. The, pro, the, the thing Calvin never factored in is that your will is not defiled. You still have a will and you still have a conscience. There's free will involved. It's not just God choosing some to be elected to be saved and God choosing some to, to go to hell. Every man has a chance. Because it's free will. Anyone can get saved. 
It's, it's not a matter of the sovereignty of God and all that. Listen, man, I, we understand God's sovereign, but He doesn't make robots. This is what systematic theology teaches Calvinism. This right here, unconditional election, limited atonement. Limited atonement, what does that mean? He didn't taste death for every man. Irresistible grace. You can't resist the, the Holy Spirit. He just rips you off a bar stool and bam, puts you in the body of Christ. That's what they'd have you believe. That you can't even repent until you are saved. That's what Calvin teaches. And then perseverance of the saints. Okay. But you have to understand, they have a conscience. Alright. So we understand that something became alive in them and they understood that they sinned. They understood, I sinned against God. Go to John 1, please. Let's, let's look at this thing. Look at John 1.4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So every man had that light in him. Well, it says in Ephesians 5.13... Whatever doth make manifest is light. Right? In 1 John it says, In him is light, and there is no, in him is no, dark, no darkness at all. So that light manifests something. It shines light on something. On sin. Okay? The Lord Jesus Christ said, What? I am the light of the world. So we've got light. That come, it, it, it's in every single person. Let's read it again. It says this. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Okay? So that light shines light on that sin. Look at Romans. Let's look at Romans. Look at Romans chapter 3. Verse 20. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. See that? There's that knowledge again. So what does that light do? It sheds light on sin and makes sin exceedingly sinful. That law, that's what it does. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. What's conscience mean? With knowledge. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they knew something. They knew that they were naked before they didn't understand they were naked. Okay? This is my daughter Grace. She's four years old. Okay? We talk about, you've heard of the age of accountability talked about. How, when does that take place? Depends on the child. Depends on the maturity of the child. But you'll notice, whenever they start noticing that nakedness is wrong, you'll start to notice that change. Because they can run around naked like a jaybird all day long. Don't even think anything of it. Why? Because they're innocent. Here's another damnable heresy that Calvin teaches. That unless a person, unless a baby's sprinkled, when they die, where do they go? Calvin teaches they go to hell. Where do they get that? Plato, philosophy, bunch of nonsense. Okay, go to Deuteronomy. So if you've got young children, this is probably a good question. People, oftentimes parents worry about those things, right? As you ought to. That's why they do baby sprinkling. 
trying to figure out what happens when a baby dies. Well, we get, better get it sprinkled. <clears throat> okay, look, at, look over here, Deuteronomy 139. Moreover, your little ones, which ye, should, which ye said should be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. See that? Those kids were innocent. They didn't know, have any knowledge between good and evil. Sin is not imputed when there is no law. So these, although, these, these folks, these children not born again, especially in the Old Testament, they're not saved, but they are safe. So when a little child dies, where does he go? Or she? Back with the father. See that? They're safe. Praise the Lord for that. Should not the whole judge of the earth do right? You think he's going to damn little babies to hell? Well, that doesn't line up with the Bible. That line up, lines up maybe with systematic theology and Calvinism, but it doesn't line up with the Bible. See, if you want to defeat any sort of heresy, all you have to do is cross-reference. And we, when we get into Romans 8 and Romans 9, and I'll probably go more in depth into some things to help you against some some Calvinistic beliefs, and a lot of times you, you, you won't pick up on it. And, and especially in Baptist circles, folks, there's a lot of Calvinism that has crept its way into Baptist circles. I can promise you that. And if you understand and, and you know their arguments, you'll pick up on little verses, little te proof texts that they use to prove their points. Because it sounds good on the surface until you cross-reference the thing. You don't ever, listen, everybody has a free will. Could Adam and Eve do right or do wrong? Were they given a choice? What'd they do? They disobeyed. They failed the test. Okay, let's look at this law here. It's called the law of peccability. Peccability. Okay? That's just a big word that means... A person can sin. They have the ability to sin. You've heard of somebody who has impeccable character? Okay? This is the opposite of that. So, peccability. First thing is, you've got presentation of sin. Number one. Number two, there's illumination. Okay? It's presented. Your eyes are illuminated. You see it. The third one. Here's where the problem comes in. Debate. Now you start debating. That's what Adam did, didn't he? Well, well, he said that we'd surely die. She didn't die on the spot. Maybe God's wrong. Maybe I'll try that. After debate comes a decision. And after decision comes an action. Presentation, illumination, debate, there's the trouble spot. Anytime you've ever sinned, it started with that debate. <coughs> Amen. Well, I'll just repent of it later. I'll just go ahead and do it. I'll just go ahead and repent later. Right? Decision, then the action. Where'd that, where'd that adultery start? Debate. Decision, action.
The physical action may have taken place down here, but that debate already started in the heart. What we're about to deal with is very practical in Romans chapter 2. We're talking about, we're gonna, he's going to start dealing with that inward man. We'll start talking about that Jew, but look at this thing, how that works. I don't care what sin it is. Okay? So that right there, that's the law of peccability, and that's exactly what took place in the garden. And that's exactly what takes place, place with you. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It is finished. Where else have you heard that? The cross of Calvary. John 19. It's the only two times this phrase, it is finished, shows up in your Bible. James 1.15. John 19. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. What did Christ die for? Sinners. He said, it is finished. He paid the price. But that's what sin does. That's why we all die. Okay? Now let's go back to Romans chapter 7. Let me erase this real fast. Are we good with this? Okay. Many times we, I, I get some questions that I have to uh, respond to, folks online, because they're not sure, and they don't understand the dual nature of man. They don't understand what took place when you got saved. Body, soul, spirit. Okay? When Adam and Eve sinned, Okay? The body and the soul were married together. That's why in the Old Testament it talks about any time a soul touched something, it would defile them. That's not so now. Okay? So these two are married together. When Adam and Eve sinned, they died spiritually. Their conscience is awakened. Now they have a they have a they have the light. And he's going to be sitting there telling them, and you and me. The whole time, don't do that, don't touch that, don't look at that, don't listen to that. Do you hear that? What is that? That's your conscience. It's a bearing witness. Okay? It's like the old uh, story about the guy who had a dog, and he's trying to sleep, and his dog's out there barking. He goes out there and tells the dog to shut up. He's trying to sleep, goes back to sleep. Dog starts barking again. Goes out there, yells at the dog again, tells him to shut up. Dog quiets down for a little bit, goes back to bed. Third time he does it, he goes out there and shoots the dog. Wakes up in the morning. He comes outside. He's been robbed. Well, there's your conscience. He's barking. Shut up. He quiets down. Here he goes again. Quiet. You know, whatever other things going through your head. Okay. After that, shut him up again. He says, okay, fine. I told him. I told him. It's kind of like that Christian that shows up at the judgment seat of Christ. See, he's sinning against his conscience and quieting that thing down, quieting that thing down. He shows up at the judgment seat of Christ. All of his goods are gone. Why? He wouldn't listen to his conscience. 
Here's that Holy Spirit letting you know, don't do this, don't touch this, don't do that. Didn't get it right down here, going to get it right up there, I guarantee it. All right? So we understand we have, an, we, have a, we have a live conscience and we have a will. Okay? So body and soul marry together. When you're born again, God cuts you loose from that body. You're no longer married to that. This, this guy right here, when you get born again, that body dies. Buried with him in baptism. Right? When we were raised together to walk in newness of life with him, born again. Soul. Well, let me put it over here. Soul. Saved. Spirit. Reborn. You got a live spirit. You got a dead body. And you got a soul that's now married to Christ. Christ puts you into the body. The Holy Spirit puts you into the body of Christ. Now you're no longer married to the body. The sins of the flesh, that's the, called the spiritual circumcision. Let's look at it. Go to Colossians. There's a lot of groundwork that has to get laid for these things because oftentimes I get a lot of questions about this. Well, I, I feel like I just don't feel like I'm saved. I feel like. Now understand that fellowship versus salvation. Remember I taught that first lesson? There's a difference. There's a difference. Go to Colossians. When he starts talking about the spiritual circumcision of the heart, as we get down to uh, further in the chapter here of, of Romans, it's that circumcision of the heart. Look at here. Uh, Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse uh, 10. And ye are complete in Him, that's the key, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharpening any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing even, dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is what? A discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. See the three natures? And He cuts you loose. Look, buried with Him in baptism, Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Okay? When you go in for surgery, what do they call it? They call it an operation. Where do you think they get that? It's the operation. See that? He's working on you. It's an operation of God. He cuts you loose. It's like this. This is one of the things Dr. Ruckman, he always used to illustrate this thing. It's a great illustration. We've got a ball. You have the outside flesh. Body. You have an inner tube shaped just like that ball. Okay? It's got a bodily shape. It's a soul. And the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell. Father Abraham bring me a drop of water, cool my tongue. So he had a bodily shape, didn't he? There's the souls. It looks just like the body, but it lives forever. And then what's inside? Spirit. There's the air. There's the pneuma. Air, is a type, air and wind are type of the Holy Spirit. See that? Body, soul, spirit. So Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they got married to this flesh. 
All right, let's go to Romans 7. We're getting ahead of ourselves in the study, but it's okay, because I want folks to understand this, because so much confusion. Romans 7, verse 1. Know you not, brethren? For I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband, so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. See that? The body died. Now you're free to marry another, which is Jesus Christ. If you're born again in the Spirit of God, you're in His body, you're His bride. You've married Christ. Okay? Anything that this guy does, it's a waste of time. God looks at that thing as a dead man. Anytime you sin, God looks at you as a dead man. The life that you now live is in Christ. Anything you do for the flesh is a waste of time. Anything you do for Jesus Christ, that means something to the Lord. Go to, now let's clear something up in 1 John. Now we have that understanding. Okay, 1 John. This might help you. Now if you didn't understand the dual nature and the spiritual circumcision, this would not make a whole lot of sense to you. 1 John 3.8. Let's look at the passage. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he's born of God. Without understanding this, which John had, Paul's epistles, and he understood, he st he understood all this, but without having that, it, wouldn't make any, it would not make any sense. Okay? So when you sin, a thing's, the new man cannot sin. Why? He's cut loose from that flesh. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Now, can you still sin in the flesh? Sure. Because you're still geographically in the flesh. But you have a dual nature. You have a new man, you have an inner man that you did not have before because you, didn't, you had a dead spirit. We make it some sense? So when a lot of times people think, well, I, they, they feel like, well, I, I've, I've lost my salvation. I've seen that a lot. Well, the problem is are you trusting facts or are you trusting feelings? Because there's days that I don't feel like I'm saved. But I know in whom I have believed. Amen. And I'm persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed to Him against that day. Amen. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Believe means to trust. I'm trusting the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ is what cleanses me. The blood atonement. That's when I'm putting my faith in a fact. Amen. You can have faith. 
church. But if it's not based on fact, your faith is no good. If you're putting your faith into some sacraments and some bread and some wine, it's not based on fact. What's the fact? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Well, let's go to Romans 10. Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Is that a fact? It's a fact. That's what I'm putting my trust and faith and confidence in. I'm not putting my, fa my, my faith in feelings because the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? You're going to go up and down in your fellowship because you're going to sin. You still have a sin nature. I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Thank God I'm not married to the flesh, but I still live in the flesh, although I don't war after the flesh. If you don't understand the dual nature of a believer, this is how people can get tripped up. Feelings. So then people start searching after feelings and feelings and feelings, and they're not trusting the fact. We had a young lady, or not young lady, but she's older than me, but um, letter to the Lord. Grew up in the charismatic movement. Okay, what was she trusting the whole time? Feelings. Finally got the illustration across to her. I'm leaning on this. If I let go, where am I going to go? Down. The law of gravity says I'm going down. What's that? That's the blood of Christ. What am I trusting? That. That's what keeps me up. Is if I let go of that, I go down. That's the law of sin and death. But if I'm trusting the blood, it's a fact, thou shalt be saved. And she got it. She said, oh, I've been trusting a feeling. You've got to speak in tongues. You've got to do all these other things. You've got to believe the Word of God. What was Adam and Eve's problem? They doubted the Word of God. Why do you think Adam took that fruit? She didn't die. She died spiritually. See, the devil's slick. He's smart, isn't he? He's subtle. He knows how to deceive. He knows that you have a problem. Your faith has a problem because it's always wanting to see something. But doesn't he say we walk blindly by what? Faith. Not by sight. So, your feelings are going to put you on an emotional roller coaster, and you're going to feel like you're not even saved because you're out of fellowship. That's what 1 John chapter 1 is all about. And if your faith isn't founded on fact, then you don't know where you're at. And that's one of the biggest issues that I've, that I've had to deal with, trying to help people and comfort them about their salvation. Not, there might be some of you in here today who are doubting your salvation, did I, did I say the right words? You know, did I pray right? It's nothing to do with, what are you trusting? What are you trusting? It's not about a prayer. It's about what you're trusting. The blood of Jesus Christ. It's the atonement. Sacrifice for your sin. Okay? I know this is more of an evangelistic message, but it, I've got liberty here, so somebody needs to hear this. Amen? 
I can't stand seeing a bunch of folks that, that are just beat up all the time and don't know the difference between the two of them. And they just walk around just miserable Christians. And they're probably saved. But they don't understand the dual nature. And so when that sin creeps up, there's old Amalek. He comes from behind and hits them and drags them down. Then they feel like, well, I've got to go up here and I've got, to, I've got to get saved again and again. How many have ever maybe witnessed that or, or, or experienced that in your own life? You, you pastored church, brother, for a lot of years. You've seen a lot of folks come up here and get saved multiple times. Why? Because they didn't understand fellowship. What do you trust in? Trust the fact. Trust the word. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Somebody needed to hear that. So um, we've got about three minutes here. I thought I'd get further in Romans. <clears throat> so let's recap. Let's go back over it. Conscience, right? You've got a conscience. You have a free will. You can choose to do right or you can choose to do wrong. Amen? Let me go back to Ezra. Everybody has a choice. He tasted death for every man. Is that what the scripture says? That's what it says. What does that mean? That means every. Okay? You know, my job as, as a teacher is to try to give you as much as I possibly can to equip you with the weapons of warfare that you're going to need. Because there may come a time when somebody may come along and start to try to drag you into some of these other heresies, which they do oftentimes. <clears throat> and um, it carries people off into, in, into places they shouldn't be because they never were equipped with the weapons and the tools to fight against some of these things, okay? Look at Ezra chapter 7, verse 12. It's a good verse. Artaxerxes, king of kings, unto Ezra the priest, ascribed to the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace, and at such, time, such a time I make a decree that all they of the people of Israel and of the priests and Levites in my realm which are minded of their own free will to go up to Jerusalem, go with thee. See that? There's free will. He said, anybody who wants to come up, they can go up. Did Ruth, did she have free will? There's grace in the Old Testament, isn't it? A Moabite wasn't even allowed into the commonwealth of Israel, but she wanted the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And by her own free will, she said, I'll go. Rebecca preached on it a couple weeks ago. Genesis 24, greatest, one of the greatest types of the church in the, in the whole Bible, in the Old Testament. She said, I'll go. Did she have to go? Free will. There it is. When David sinned, did he have a choice? He sure did. Okay. Um, I've got a message called When Sin Did, a Ground, Did Abound, Grace Did Much More Abound. Maybe I'll preach it next time that the uh, um, pastor asked me to preach, but it's a great lesson. But uh, we understand we got a conscience, <clears throat> which means we are accountable. Notice it says back in Romans 2, bearing witness. Bearing witness. It's like, it's like somebody, you're taking the stand 
and there's somebody bearing witness either for you or against you. There's your conscience. Okay, and so the Gentiles in the Old Testament, we're going to wrap this up. How were they saved? They followed their conscience. It was a law, as the law written in their hearts. Okay. Um, Use this example last time. How about men of Nineveh and Queen of Sheba? Both Gentiles. They, repeat, they repented at the preaching of Jonas. Queen of Sheba came up to King Solomon. See all the splendor. Okay, she, she's going to come up with a judgment. Go to Matthew 12 and I'll, we'll end here. I just want to show you this. I don't want to say something that's not founded in Scripture. Matthew chapter 12, verse 44, As Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall arise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, the greater than Solomon is here. So they're going to come up with the judgment and they're going to judge. Go back to Romans 2. We'll end with this. Romans 2.27. And we'll go through the rest of these next week. But look at this here. Romans 2.27. And shall not the uncircumcision, which is by nature... If it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision dost transgress the law. See, that was Gentiles. They're going to come up with the judgment. They're going to judge those Jews that did not listen to the Lord Jesus Christ when He was here. Okay, we'll leave it there. Any questions? Brother Jerry? Just the commandment God gave them. They were just, they were innocent. It's like I said earlier about my four-year-old. Right? She's innocent. She might understand good and bad because she gets a spanking. But she doesn't understand that it's a sin against God yet. When the commandment came, sin revived and I died. It's when that person begins to understand, when I'm sinning, I'm sinning against God because it's His law. Okay, let's go to James. James chapter 2, should be verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So that law is our schoolmaster. That's what you use in soul winning, especially. Because if they can understand that they're a sinner, and if they just broke one, they've broken all of them. And understanding that that sin is against God, they're accountable for that. And therefore, they need a sacrifice. They need a, save, a Savior. Amen? Does that answer the question? Okay. His, I'm sorry, I forgot to put it out there on the internet. His, his question was about Adam and Eve having a conscience before um, they ate of the tree and they were innocent. They did not go. What's that now? Sure, sure did. Foreknowledge. The question is, did not God know they were going to fall? Of course He did. 
He knew you were going to fall after you got saved, yet He saved you in despite of yourself. Amen. Right? I mean, that's how good God is. I mean, He knows that you're going to fail Him, but yet He takes you anyway. That's not a very good deal, and honestly. But that's, that's God's foreknowledge. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows every variation. Go ahead. Sure, they, he wanted them to confess. And did they confess? No, they said, no, the woman. What did she say? Oh, the serpent. And the serpent's standing the whole time going, yeah, what of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't have the knowledge that you and I have. We have more light. We have more light than anyone. We have a completed Bible. We're definitely without excuse. But does that answer your question? Um, any other questions? There's good questions. Okay. Oh, thank you. Yes. Uh, the next Bible study for Galatians, uh, we're, it, it'll be March 2nd at 5 o'clock. We'll eat, and then we'll start to study around 5.45 or 6 o'clock who, for whoever wants to attend. Okay. Are we, are, are we good on the dual nature? Understand that. Good on Adam and Eve and the conscience and all that. You're not getting out of it. Okay? You're accountable. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for this study, Lord. We thank you for your word. We just thank you how it matches up together, Lord, and just combine and, and compare Scripture with Scripture. And you, you've got the answers right there for us. We just have to search them out. And, Father, we thank you for that, and we thank you for the truth. Thank you for your son, and we just pray for the service today. Pray for Brother Barry as the choir comes up and sings, Lord. Just pray that you anoint them. Pray for our pastor as he opens a, and, and opens the bread of life and just feeds us one more time. And Father, we just thank you. And Lord Jesus' name we pray. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. All right, folks.
be in the Lord's house this morning. Uh, let's, uh, as the choir is heading in this direction, we'll start out this morning by singing page number 393 in the church hymnal when we all get to heaven. Welcome to the temple this morning. If you're visiting first time, we'd like you to raise your hand and we'll give you a card and let you fill it out, drop in a plate and it passes in a moment. All right, back in the back here, so folks back here. Anyone else with us today first time? All right, see a hand over here. Somebody pointing to someone there. I want to make sure everyone, we acknowledge that. Folks down the front here, gentleman with the green uh, shirt on, down the front here, brother. All right, you folks down here, where you all from? Where y'all from? Maynardville? Brother, that's a beautiful place. I lived there for a while. Deer would graze out in the front yard. <laughs> Anyone else on this side over here? First time? Someone raise it. Yes, where y'all from? 
Coryton? All right, that's beautiful up in there too, but I believe it. Good to have you. All right, anyone in the center here? First time? Yes, sir. Where? Greenville. All right, well, good to have you. Yes, sir, you're getting up in old country now in Greenville. All right, anyone else? First time with us today? All right, good to be here. Yes. Nashville. Nashville? Amen. That place is growing so fast they're going to run you off. Amen. There's anything like it. Good to have you. The Athens of the South, Parthenon and all the rest of it with Nashville. Well, it's good to be saved. Amen. Amen. Good to be here. We'll meet again this evening, 6 o'clock for the evening service. Y'all keep that in mind, all you folks watching online right now. Join in with us. You are welcome. I don't know where we're going. As you, understand, as you know right now, it's midnight in some places in the world. But believe it or not, there are people watching us. Amen. Thank God for that. All right. Hey, brother. Page 38. Over.
Let's stand up, fellowship, shake hands as the choir comes down. Father, thank you, Lord, for being in your house today and for sending the Holy Ghost. Thank you. Thy name, amen. You all be seated. Let's have the ushers come up. We'll take up the morning offering. I'd like to mention, be having an afterglow Sunday, February the 18th, after the morning service, 12 to 6. So this is going to be an extended temple youth group, age 10 to teens, breakout games, fun food and prizes. Bring a friend for a special prize. Please let us know if you need transportation. Us would be Debbie, McLeod, anyone else? Kathy Arsenault. All right. Okay, y'all keep that in mind. All right, Brother Golden, lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to come into your house, Father, and pray that you be with us in the presence and be with the pastors and bring your message that someone lost maybe a testimony and bring Amen.
got uh, uh, Debbie McLeod and Victoria Lanning who sing for us. the stars one and all knows how much sand is on the shores sees every sparrow that falls made the mountains and the seas he's in control of everything of all creatures great and small
Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, chapter number 1, and verse number 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 22. The divine text says, for the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block unto the Greeks foolishness but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God companion passage 1 Corinthians 2 2 it says for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified father bless this holy word now and give me unction to preach it in thy name I pray Amen. You can be seated. The Apostle Paul, of course, the Apostle to the Gentiles, the church at Corinth was certainly a Gentile church, making up the Gentile bride of Christ. The Apostle Paul was a theologian in the first order, if you'd like to use that term. I don't use it very much because of uh, some of the implications, but he certainly knew what he was talking about. In plainer words, he said to the church at Corinth, I could be preaching the second coming, I could be preaching about healing, I could be preaching about uh, polity, church polity, and all the rest of things. And these all certainly have their place, no question about that. But obviously he was burdened to preach Christ and Him crucified to these people. There's reason for that. He was burdened for the ministry for the church at Corinth. And plainer words, he preached Christ. The Lord Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. That has a dual application, lifted up at the cross at Calvary. He was crucified, hung between two thieves, suspended between heaven and earth. But also the preaching of the cross of Christ is lifting him up. Men need to hear about Christ. They don't need to hear about me. What can I do for you? They don't need to hear about the church. Look what a mess it's in. They don't need to hear anything about religion 
or, you know, people of faith. That's a very obscure term. What do they really need to hear? They need to hear Christ and Him crucified and preach the Word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is definitely the subject of the Bible, all 66 books, 39 Old Testament, 27 New. The burden of the Bible is Christ. He said, search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and there are they that testify of Me. It is to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ. If a man indeed studies the Bible, reads from Genesis to Revelation, and doesn't come out with an overwhelming sense of Christ, then I don't know what you're reading, because the Holy Spirit will lead you to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to preach him this morning by the grace of God. Try my dead level best to preach the only one who really matters, and that is this, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is a warrior. He's a healer, savior, companion, and teacher. He's a warrior in the sense that the battle was spiritual and he fought it. You go home and read the book of Hebrews chapter 5 and you'll find the Spirit of God takes you into the depths of what's going on with that battle that raged between heaven and hell when the Lord Jesus went to the cross. He's a healer. The Bible said by his straps we were healed. Now he bled at Calvary. He bled at Gethsemane. But he also bled when Pilate ripped his back open with that cat of nine tails. And the scripture says that by his stripes we were healed. So there must be something different about that. That's something to think about. He's the Savior. At the cross at Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who is this man that can forgive sins? He's God. That's who he is. And then he's the companion. For 33 and a half years he lived this earth for three and a half or so. He walked with these disciples and they walked by his side. They lived with him and they listened to his teaching. The Apostle John says that our hands have handled of the word of life. He was very close to him and therefore he was a companion. The Old Testament angel of the Lord appeared to them but he also uh, left them. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, now I have been with you. It's needful that I go away. If I go not away, the comforter will not come. And so when the Lord Jesus left here, he sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came after the resurrection and ascension of Christ in a way that he had never come before. The Holy Spirit is in this world today in a way that he never was before. And if you've ever met the Lord Jesus Christ, you know the Holy Spirit without question. But I'm going to dwell upon the fact today that he's the teacher. The Lord Jesus says, Moses wrote of me in John chapter number 8 and verse 56. John chapter 5 verse 46 in Matthew 22. He said, Moses wrote of me. Now Moses wrote the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This is why he said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. The Lord Jesus Christ gave them a puzzle one day. He said, I'm David's son, but I'm also David's Lord. Go figure that one. Well, that has to do with his identity. You see, long before he was ever born, the God-man in Bethlehem of Judea 2,000 years ago, he was from everlasting to everlasting. He was David's Lord long before he was ever born in this world. Psalm chapter number 110, David called him Lord. Did not Moses give you the law, he said in John 7? Had you believed Moses, you said, he wrote of me, you would have believed me. 
And then he condemned them for their traditions, the oral traditions that today they run to that form the basis of their Talmud. If you don't know what that Talmud is, that's the reason Jews reject Christ, not based on the Bible, based on the Talmud and the Mishnah, which is the product of the oral tradition they claim was given Moses at Mount Sinai, which did not happen, folks. That is a fabrication. To the tempter in, in, in Luke chapter number four, he quoted the scriptures. And then he said in Luke chapter number four at Nazareth, when he stood up to read the book of Isaiah, he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. Have you noticed the connection the Lord Jesus has with the scriptures? Have you noticed how the word of God was constantly on his lips? Constantly. He refers 20 to 20 old Old Testament characters. Think of that. 20 different people in the Old Testament the Lord Jesus Christ referred to. And he quotes 19 books of the Old Testament scriptures. He was versed in the Bible. Why was he versed in it? Because he wrote it, that's why. <laughs> he refers to mention a few to the creation of man, to marriage, to Noah, to Abraham, Lot, and, and, and Sodom, to the appearing of God to Moses, to manna, ten commandments, the brazen serpent, David's flight to Nob, the glory of Solomon, the queen of Sheba, the wisdom of the widow of Sarepta, Naaman, you do err, he said, in not knowing the scriptures, and the resurrection approaching the cross, he said, the scriptures must be fulfilled. Three times our Savior points to the fulfillment of scripture while he's hanging upon the cross. Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Matthew 53. And then three of his seven utterances on the cross at Calvary were words of scripture. And the dying breath from his body, his mouth and his soul and his spirit were connected with the word of the living God. It was on his lips. Did he love the scriptures? Yes, he loved the scriptures. Every deed he did, every thought he had, every breath he drew, every miracle he ever performed, everything he did in this world, he did it according to the scriptures. On the day of the resurrection, he quoted scripture, Matthew, in Luke chapter number 24. And then finally in Luke 24, verse 44, and to rise from the dead on the third day, he quotes the scriptures. So the resurrection of Christ on the third day is in the Old Testament scriptures. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 20 says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. That is a finished fact. He was seen of over 500 brethren after his resurrection. There is no question that Christ arose from the dead. Had he not arisen from the dead, let's go home. We're not playing religious games. This is not another way to heaven. We're not being good moral people. We're not trying to teach you how to live a good, clean life in this world. We are presenting Christ to you. Once the Lord Jesus Christ moves into your soul, your life will change. So the apostle said, for the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ 
crucified. Have you ever heard the term the crux of the matter? That's a direct reference to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That word has, has, has filtered down into the English language and is used every day. Practically you hear it time and time and time again in a different sense. He was crucified. The book of Galatians sets it forth for us. The apostle Paul in the, in the, in the book of Galatians as he, as he, as I've said to you so many times, he develops the doctrine of the cross. And he preaches this. He says there's the power of the cross to deliver from sin. In Galatians 1 verse number 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us. That Greek word deliver us is ex iareo. And here's what it means. To take to pluck out, as Christ said, to pluck out your very eye. Remember that? Well, then he said he might deliver us, pluck us out from this present evil world. Now, I know one plucking that's coming, and that's when he shouts our name, and we're going to leave this world. Amen. He's going to reach down, and you're mine, and I'm taking you to be with me. But it has to do with the, what we call sanctification. It has to do with what we call separation. If the Spirit of God that dwells in you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will separate you by his spirit and by his power from this present evil world. Why? Because the spirit is your life. The Holy Ghost is your life, folks. He's not just something about you. He is everything there is to be of you if you're born again. And there and can two walk together except they be agreed. You can work with a man. You can talk with a man. You can eat with a man. I mean, some of you can even be married to one. But if you are not born of the Spirit of God, both of you, there is a brick wall, there's a line of demarcation, there's a separation that cannot be crossed. And this is probably why a lot of marriages today are foundering, is because they are not, both are not married, and there's an issue going on, and there's a contentious spirit there, and it will not change until both are born of the Spirit of God. And I'm telling you to leave your spouse I don't counsel people to get divorced. I counsel you to work your marriage out. If you're married to an unbeliever, work it out. A lot of times you marry unbelievers, my dear Christian friend, and you know you're doing the wrong thing and you're going into it in darkness and you know that and you expect to change that person. Sometimes you do, but sometimes you don't. And as long as one of you are unsaved, there's going to be problems in that marriage. Amen. That's just the way it's going to be. And this happens. And sometimes both of you are unsaved when you get married. You don't know the Lord. And then one of you gets saved. And then that creates a problem in the marriage. And that happens. So what do you do? You do what the Apostle Paul said to do. Work at it. Pray about it. Help that one. And maybe by the life that you live. Now let me tell you something else too. This, what I'm on, I didn't plan to do this. This rabbit jumped up and I grabbed it. Here we go. I didn't plan to do this. Well, let me tell you something. Quit preaching to your husband or your wife. There's too much preaching going on. A lot of people think the answer to everything is to preach. No, that's not the answer to everything. Sometimes the greatest answer you can, you can show someone is patience, consideration, bathed in love. Let them know you still love them. Let them know that there's love there. Love is a magnet. Love draws people. People respond to love. You have to be a psychopath to literally turn your back on love. Love is one of the most precious things you'll ever 
ever find in this world. Have you ever known somebody to, that loved you? Raise your hand. Do you know anybody you love better than yourself? Raise your hand. <laughs> Do you love yours? Don't raise your hand. Are you one of these self-love? Have, have some preacher told you to love yourself? Here's my challenge to you. If that preacher told you to love yourself, here's a simple question, simple challenge. You go find in that Bible where the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation ever commands. Get that word? That's the qualifying word. Where does the Bible ever command you to love yourself? Hunt until you live a thousand years and you'll never find it. When the Bible says to love your neighbor as thyself, it's simply saying this is an observation. This is pragmatism. This is the way it is. What man never ever did not love himself, his flesh, and so forth. That's your problem. Your problem is love Christ. The love of Christ constraineth me. And he has his way of placing us where we ought to be. Amen, 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 amen. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I lived yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. If righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And my friend, let me say this with that. I don't care what it is. I don't care how holy it appears. I don't care what it is. Anything compared to our Lord Jesus Christ is deficient. It fails. It never meets his standard. He rises above everything. Nothing is as good as the Son of God. And you can live the best life you can possibly live. You can even give yourself as a sacrifice. And you still fail to rise up to the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived 2,000 years ago a sinless, perfect, obedient life before God that has never been matched. It never can be matched. He established a righteousness that no one can ascend to and his righteousness is the only righteousness that will allow anybody into the gates of glory. And my therefore Christ is made unto me righteousness. The apostle says the power of the cross of Christ's cross to deliver from the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13 this is what Paul called the law. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. This is why some say that the Apostle Paul was antinomian. That's just simply a big word which means against the law. Namas is law. Antinomian. They say the Apostle Paul was a rogue who preached his own type of freedom of religion. And so he therefore went against the teaching of the Word of God. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, you teach, you see, he, said, he, told us, he told the Jews, he said, you command the law to be kept, but you don't keep it yourself. He said that to the Jews. He said, you don't do it. And so the apostle Paul wasn't teaching anything different than what the Lord Jesus taught. By the way, do you know anybody who's ever kept the law? No. Nobody can keep the law. They never have kept the law. For the Bible says, in the flesh, by the flesh, by the flesh is the weakness of the law. It is unable to keep the, the moral, righteous demands of the law. Then what do I do, preacher? Throw my hands up. Exactly. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to become totally frustrated. He wants you to come to the end of yourself. He wants you to look at the Ten Commandments and the moral law of God and all of that and say, I just can't do it. And God says, now we can talk. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Now we can talk. And that's where Christ did it. And this is what he's talking about. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the law. Does it not say that? Sure it does. 
So he said he's redeemed us from the curse of the law. The third thing the cross does is to deliver us from the self-life. Notice carefully. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live with the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Nevertheless, yet not I. The less you have of yourself, the more you'll have of Christ. The less you think of yourself, the more you'll think of Christ. The less you go around moping around, feeling sorry for yourself, licking your wounds, pouting. Some folks are good at pouting. You ever notice? Go through all this Mickey Mouse acting. A lot, you know, it amazes me how a lot of a lot of 50-year-old people act like a five-year-old. That's amazing. How many of you know how, how five-year-olds can act? They don't get their way. Huh? Anybody? Are y'all still listening to me? They don't get their way and they go around pouting and, and you know, pitch a fit. My, grand, my, youngest, <laughs> my youngest granddaughter said to me one time, she said, I didn't get my way, I pitched a fit. <laughs> That's what she told me. I thought to myself, well, she, at least she's honest about it. <laughs> she didn't get what she wanted, so she pitched a fit. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing like reality. Amen. Plug into it. How many of you, when you didn't get your way, pitched to fit? Everybody raise your hand. Good. I'm glad we're all in here together. The power of Christ's cross is to deliver from the world. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me and I unto the world. It is a separation, folks. Either I love Christ who died on the cross, or I just simply see it as a religious object. That's what most of the world does. Most people won't curse Christ. They don't curse Christ. Uh, most people out there, really, they have generally a warm feeling toward him. Because, I mean, after all, what did he ever do for himself? And what's he ever done to you? The Lord Jesus came into the world and he died on a cross for us, right? And it's a horrible sacrifice that he paid. Horrible, folks. It's unbelievable. But the bottom line is this. That cross and my love for the Lord Jesus, the scripture says, the love of Christ constraineth me. That binds me. It binds me up. It, 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 it puts me where I should be. I identify with that. I am his and he is mine. Amen. You ever heard that song? I am his and he is mine. He owns me and I love him with all of my soul. So this is deliver us from the world. The power of Christ crossed in the new birth. Look at the book of Galatians chapter 4 verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because your sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son to your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We have religious privileges. Yes, we do. We do. You, you know, if I, got, if, I got a, if, if I left out of here this afternoon, went to my cell phone, said, I'd like to talk to President Biden. How long do you think it'd take me to get through? I doubt if I'd ever get through. <laughs> I doubt if I'd ever get through. But if I got on my knees and said, Lord Jesus, I want to talk to you for just a minute. He would take me directly into the presence of the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And a union and communion would take place that this world knows nothing about. Why? I'm his son. He cannot disown me. I am his son. I am born of his spirit. His name is written in my heart. I have a place at the table that nobody can take. 
I am his and he is mine. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I know whom I have believed and I persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. I am his son. Hallelujah to God. Well, you say, preacher, you are a son. Well, you can be, you can use indefinite article if you want to. I am his son. Amen. <laughs> I'm his son. <laughs> so, isn't that wonderful to know that you belong to him in such a filial relationship? Patron, God the Father, he's my father. I'm his son. Next time you pray, remember that. The next time Satan comes after you, remember that. The next time you get in a spiritual battle, remember that. The next time you have a need, remember that. Remember that. You are his son. And that's not just using words. When God says something, he means it. You know, empty words are empty words, and they're, they're very depressing and defeating. They are. Empty words fall to the ground. They're just meaningless enough to drivel, you know, tripe. But the word of God, when he says you're his son, then you're his son. And they can't touch a hair on your head without his permission. The power of the cross of Christ in receiving the spirit, Galatians 3 verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. Oh, blessed day. Oh, blessed, blessed, blessed day when the Holy Ghost came into my soul. Oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. I don't have to persuade. I don't have to convince any of you in this house. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you know what I'm talking about. The day he came into my soul, he changed me. He put a love in me. He put joy in me. He put faith in me. He lit my life up. He forgave me my sins. He took a burden off of my soul. He wrote my name in the Lamb's book of life. And from that day on, I became a new creature in Christ Jesus. You say, well, our church doesn't teach that. Well, forget your church. Just take the Bible, okay? Forget this church. This is a building with people in it. But, you know, brick and stone and, and sheet rock and, and carpet and all that. The church is a spiritual entity. Amen. If you're born again, you're in that church. You're in that body of Christ. Listen, does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? Does he dwell in you? Well, I don't know, preacher. Then I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, if you don't know, that if you're not certain, then we got an issue going on here this morning, right? Nobody had to convince me that somebody moved into me. First thing I did, I went back to work. I was a line mechanic and I got saved. Worked at Snyder Motors, a Volkswagen mechanic. And uh, line mechanic simply means that you bring the cars in there and they're, you, you've got a little stall there and you bring your car into your stall and you've got a lift and you've got your toolbox behind you and you work on this car and bring another one in, working on that car. All day long you work on this car, that car, this car, that car. That's a line mechanic. And before I got saved, you know, I just wanted the boys cracking jokes, you know, same old talk, this, that, you know, same old spirit. I mean, we had a, we had a camaraderie amongst us. We, we, you know, we had the same thing. But boy, that day I came back when I was born again. I started getting eyes looking at me. Uh, they knew even before I said anything, there's something wrong with this guy. And there was a guy in the basement at Snyder Motors that uh, had two levels. The basement was the body shop. The body shop. And there was an old boy down there that I just happened to wander down there one day. I forget what I was doing, maybe get a part or something. But I bumped into him. And we started talking. 
And that old boy knew the Lord. And that's the first thing I did was find somebody to work with that knew the Lord. And we used to go out and eat lunch together and we talked about the Lord. He was in California. I'll never forget him. Talked about the Lord. Talked about the Lord. Talked about the Lord. He had what I had. We both had the Holy Ghost. And we sought that out. Thanks be unto God. And then finally, the power of Christ's cross and bringing for the Spirit truth. The, truth, the fruit, rather. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with their affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us, alone, let us also walk in the Spirit. I need to go see my optometrist. Everything's blurred now. It's time to go. I hate to tell you this, you folks over here, that you're, you're going out here and you're working out and you're, you're on your treadmills and you're running the hills and the valleys and riding your bikes and all. That's all good. But one day will come, this old body will start wearing out. Boy, Lord have mercy. It'll wear out on you. The fruit of the Spirit. Did you know the Lord Jesus said this? He said, you judge a tree by its works. You judge a tree by uh, the people it runs with. How do you judge a tree? By the fruit it bears. That's exactly right. Not all, not all the babble that comes out of the mouth. You judge it by the fruit it bears. All right? So what happens to people that are in your orbit that are around you? Do they get better? Does it help their faith in Christ? Does it draw them together? Do you have a spirit of camaraderie? Do you come together and you love the Lord Jesus? Or are the people around you, for some strange reason, they get into a bad spirit. and It just seems like contention and strife. And all of that follows wherever you go. Let me ask you another question. You may fall out with somebody and the two of you disagree. That happened in the New Testament. Paul and Barnabas, they fell out with each other. They fell out with each other. They went their separate ways. But Paul did not do one thing to try to hurt Barnabas. And Barnabas did not do one thing to try to hurt Paul. When you try to hurt people, you got a spirit. Now you hear me real well. You hear me real well. I don't care how you babble. When you go after somebody to hurt that person, you've got a spirit. Yes, you do. You've got a spirit. So you judge a tree with the fruit it bears. I hope my fruit is good. I hope that I encourage your faith. I hope that you have a sense of, of, of fellowship in the place. I do. I, you know, I, I hope that with all my heart. I don't want to. I don't want to bust up the. You know, your, your your fellowship with each other. I don't have to have my way. Sometimes my way is not the right way. Sometimes I need to find out what right way is the right way. Who knows? You learn as you get older. You have to learn a lot of things before you can learn a lot of things. <laughs> Amen. I remember uh, the Secretary of Defense up there. He's been gone now. I forget, but he said this statement. He said, "You don't know what you don't know." <laughs> I thought to myself, now that's really pretty deep when you think about what he just said. It really is. I mean, you don't know what exists until you don't know what exists to find out what doesn't exist. In plain words, you have to learn so much to get through the door before you can learn more. You learn by experience and you build upon experience. Amen. That's the way studying the Bible is. You study the Bible. You learn people. You learn people. You learn them. I have to tell you this before I close this morning, and I know it's going to be sad for some of you. I know some of you men would like to go out in the woods and sit in a tree and hunt deer for the rest of your life. Amen. 
Or you'd like to go out on the bank of the river and throw a worm out and sit there, you know, or, or troll or get your boat or, or whatever. And some of you ladies would like to be turned loose in the biggest shopping mall and, and just turn loose in there for a week with $50,000 to spend and buy everything and anything you can find. But the truth of the matter is you got to come down. And you know what you got to do? You got to look at people. Yeah, you do. You got to deal with people. Say, so what are they doing here anyway? People, you got to deal with people. One of the greatest lessons we'll ever learn is to learn how to live with people. Amen. Live with them, work with them, deal with them. Come to, come to agreements, get along with each other, work together. That's not an easy thing because we see things differently. We understand things differently. But a sure mark of maturity on your part and my part and anyone else is the ability to work with each other. This church has great potential. God's blessing Temple. It's already, it's obvious. He's blessed me. He's blessing Temple. He's blessing the ministry online. And he, I'm greatly encouraged by the last meeting we had up here in the building. It, we're, we're preparing. We're, we're looking into the future. Packed, folks. Packed. Packed out. Packed with people. Excited about what they're going to do for the Lord. But here's the thing. It doesn't just happen. You've got to make it work. You've got to work with each other. You've got to work through your problems. You have, to, you have to try to understand the other person's point of view. That's good. That's the way it ought to be. The Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples plainly. He said, there are many more things I'd like to say to you, but I can't. You can't bear them yet. You can't bear them yet. Now, I want to close with these scriptures because these are beautiful scriptures. Colossians 3.11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarians, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. And the apostle again in Romans says, for of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Then the apostle says again, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be throne or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. My, my, my. Christ is all, to him be glory forever. They all created for him, by him. And then the apostle in Timothy, to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.17 says this. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And if you look at the antecedent to that, you'll look back and it'll be the Lord Jesus Christ. He's calling the only wise God. That's right. That's right. That's what that means. The antecedent means it's here, then it's referred to later on, back to here. So Christ is the only wise God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Do you know that one I'm talking about this morning? Bless his righteous name. You may know me, forget my name, never see me again. It's all right, because I can't save you. But don't ever forget the Lord Jesus Christ. But the truth of the matter is, if you've ever known him, you'll never forget him. Would you like to know him? He tasted death for every man. That's right. For you, for me, for all. Would you like to know him? Would you bow your head with me for a moment? Lord, I preach what you put on my heart. I've delivered my soul. I have peace now. I can go home and I can rest. We, we the messengers, you know, you know us. You know what we do. 
you know us. Once we're finished, we're at peace. Then we can sit down, we can rest. Then we begin to prepare again for another message. But our Father, I pray now for your word that's gone forth. It will not return void. It will accomplish that which you please. It will prosper in the thing whereto you've sent it. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Any hands go up tonight this morning and say, Preacher Lost, now don't you pray for me? Pray for me because I'm not sure. God bless you. I'm not sure I know the Lord. That's okay. God bless you. Nobody's going to drag anybody to the altar. We don't do that around here now. I know a lot of time past folks would do stuff like that, well-meaning people. I'm not up here to, to run anybody down, but we don't do that. You have the Holy Ghost. If he can't get you down here, uh, then, uh, then it's, no good. it's not going to be good anyway. Anyone else, raise your hand and say, Preacher, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. Just pray the Holy Spirit be able to speak to me, that I'll listen to him, that I'll soften my heart, that I know God's been dealing with me, God's been talking to me. He has. I've seen God's hand in my life. And I'm thankful that I know he's gracious. He's long-suffering. He's been with me. He stuck with me when I didn't deserve him sticking with me. But I'm not even sure if I know I'm saved. Well, that's the Lord. You see, that's why he does things like that. He makes a friend of you. He's a friend of sinners. A lot of times he'll become a close friend to you before you ever meet him as a savior. Just so you'll get, he'll get your attention. Anyone else? Raise your hand and say, pray for me. God bless you. God bless you. Father, thank you, Lord. These hands have gone up now, Lord. You know how they are. This is, this is a private thing between you and them, Lord. I know I'm privileged as a minister. I know, I can, I, I know I'm able to come into places that a lot of people can't. I know I can see things a lot of people don't. But God, help me not to violate that. Father, I pray for these hands this morning. I pray for them. I pray for their souls. I pray, Heavenly Father, for their walk with Thee. Bless them. Move in their soul. Move in their heart. And glorify Yourself in their life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, let's stand up. Victoria, Victoria's going to sing. Go ahead and stand up. Stead for 
it is. Satan will fight your prayer life. Yes, he will. We're baptizing. We've got a, a couple of folks that are going to be baptized this morning. Y'all go ahead and be seated. Uh, Rylan Smith. Is Rylan here? Yes, sir. Choir practice at 5. We're having choir practice at 5. Okay, choir practice at five o'clock. Y'all keep that in mind. All right. Where's, where's Rylan? You're pointing. There he is. Okay, I see you. Come on down here, young man. Do we have anybody else that's going to be baptized today? Pardon? All right, is she here? All right, would you come on down? Rylan, have we voted on you? I'll go back and prepare. And uh, they, 
Somebody, Brother McDonald, I'll turn it over to you, brother. Do whatever you want to do here. I'll go back and get ready. let you sit down if you'll sing loud and if you don't sing loud I'll make you stand up okay uh, I'm on a a new song probably most of you haven't heard it's page 57 in the church hymnal mm -hmm. 
My brother, because of your faith in my Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize thee in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. sister, because of your faith in my Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize thee in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Jesus come. Man, that's good. John said, even so come, Lord Jesus. I pray that every day, even so come. Today could be the day. It'd be all right with me. Let's stand up and get that last verse, okay? You all done great on the first three, so let's uh, wire out this last one. Just a second, let you all come by and give them the right hand church fellowship and um, pray for the family. Baptism is an act of obedience. We do not believe for one minute that that had anything to do with their salvation. Right. Didn't, didn't save them. Water cannot wash your sins away. Right. Only the blood of Christ can do that, Revelation 1 5. But it certainly is a witness and a testimony because he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. Amen. And we do that, and that's why they call us Baptist. All right, be a minute till this young lady gets out. She's not out here yet, is she? No, be a minute before she comes out here. Yes, sir. Okay, you're having prayer at 445. All right, and choir practice at 5. How'd that choir sound this morning? Man, they're sounding good, aren't they? Yes, they are. They're sounding very good. Amen. Yes, sir. got a special request in my family. God knows the need. I press special, special request in my family. While we're here and waiting for them, anybody else have a, yes, sir? Yes, sir. 
Yes, he does, brother. Now, that's important. If God be for us, then who can be against us? He's for us. He's not against you. If he was out to get you, you'd been gotten a long time ago. <laughs> Amen. Yes, sir. All right. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, brother, that's awful. Oh, yeah. Yes, Sheriff Debbie just trying to do his job. Took his life from him. As far as I understand, the killer's still on the loose. So pray they get him before he hurts somebody. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for praying for me. You all have been here before. Where are you all from? Well, we live in Madisonville. Okay. And uh, you've become a major part in our home. Um, we don't worship you. We're thankful for the Spirit of God. God uses you. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And, Yes, well, it's good to have you all today. Amen. All the visitors with us, good to have you. All right, they're out. Y'all come up to the front here, and we want to come by. If you, moms and dads wants to stand with them or anything, that'd be fine. Y'all come on up here. Yeah. That's one smart little boy. Brother Barnhart, will you dismiss us, please?